Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce the next guest. She is currently the Director of Talent Acquisition for the Cleveland Guardians. Please welcome Malin Vu, everybody. It's nice to be here. Yes, excited to have you on. I know uh, you guys were hoping to go to the World Series. It was an exciting season, winning the division, but... I like to start off, you know, where did it, where did sports begin for you, whether that was being an athlete yourself or just going to games, you know, with friends and family? Yeah, absolutely. So growing up, sports was definitely a way for my family to connect culture-wise. Um, so my family, I come from a family of immigrants uh, during the Vietnam War. Um, and one of the ways that we all connected was just the enjoyment of sports. And so born and raised in Cleveland. And so being a Clevelander, you definitely are a fan of all sports. <laughs> you try to root for them, regardless of what the season's going to look like, you still root for them. And this was something that was just embedded uh, in us uh, with our family. And then uh, so on top of the culture piece of, of just bridging that, um, I did play a little bit of sports, you know, um, growing up, uh, mostly into volleyball, but I kind of dabbled into a little bit of everything, nothing um you know, from a school perspective, right? it's, it's something I, we are very, you know, our, our cousins, we have a lot of them. We're pretty competitive with each other. Um, and so usually every weekend we're doing something. Um, and so that's how I got my introduction to sports in terms of how I got involved in the sports industry today um, was definitely by accident. I probably had not <laughs> have the non-traditional route to get in the sports industry. Um, but, you know, it was just something Again, growing up in Cleveland, everybody knew their teams and what an opportunity for me to join the then Cleveland Indians. Um, it was a no brainer. I wanted to be a part of the organization, wanted to see behind the scenes what really goes on. And uh, and I've been there since. So I'm pretty happy with that choice. Yeah, I love that. And talk about what was your favorite sports memory growing up, you know, whether that was going to a Cleveland game or just, you know, playing a certain sport. What was your favorite sports memory as a kid? Yeah. So I, I, I think I probably have the same uh, type of memories just because I grew up in the nineties. And so during the nineties with the Cleveland Indians, nice. we were always selling out. We we're always going, you know, in sort of some of playoff season or <laughs> world series. Um, and so there was always this excitement that was around the city, just the buzz around the city for opening day. And during the nineties, you just fell in love with the team and then you fall in love more with the city when you see the camaraderie of people from all walks of life just cheering with each other for this one particular event right so um that's something that has stuck with me for as long as i remember and again it kind of goes back to my family so i remember during those times you know we're we're watching the game we're watching the game from home um and catching it and seeing you know having a party out of it and family rooting and, you know, hooting and hollering at the TV when something's going on. Um, and so that was a memory that's always stuck with me um, in terms of, again, it goes back to like that connection that we have with the city, connection with each other. And it was just something that people could really, you know, take their everyday maybe challenges or adversity they're going through at that particular moment. Uh, it gives them that moment of just free and having fun. Um, and, and the, just seeing the excitement around it. 
Yeah, I love that. And you talk about, you know, that connection, that camaraderie, that uh, just excitement. And, you know, sports, you know, there's not a lot of other fields that you can feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, with the business side, I mean, there's a lot. They say sports is one of the greatest unifiers because it brings so many people together no matter the background. Yes, yes. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, sports in itself is very diverse um, in terms of the individuals that either consume it or the individuals that actually are playing it, right? Um, and so it it's everybody. It's, it's any kind of sport that someone could probably connect to, whether it's a connection to a particular player uh, because maybe they share the same values or the same background, or it's because, you know, they're overcoming, like I mentioned before, adversity that uh, a fan could probably um, relate to or empathize with. And so they kind of gravitate right, towards them. I mean, look at what LeBron did for the city. Other than, you know, obviously he's very talented in his field, but a lot of the Clevelanders, you know, they felt, a, they probably still do like feel this sense of pride because this person was born in our backyard. Um, and so there's that connection. So people follow him regardless of what, during the time when he went to Miami, you know, you had some people who were very mad, but at the same time, there were people who were still proud of what he was trying to accomplish. And even the times when he came back and the times now he's at LA too. Um, they're very thankful for that. So they're able to kind of connect in a different way. And, you know, the other piece of it too, is like these organizations sports wise, they, they try to find a way to really give back to the city. And I think uh, people who are around the city see that and they, they're thankful for that. And they just kind of just latch on and kind of go from there. Yeah, for sure. You talk of that about that diverse, uh, whether it's the players, whether it's the organization and you're involved with that. Uh, you are, uh, director of talent acquisition for the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, but walk me through, you know, before you got with the Guardians and kind of your background in human resources and all that, how did you carve your path into that realm and what kind of piqued your interest in HR and talent acquisition? Absolutely. That's a great question. So I actually graduated with a bachelor's in business. Um, and my goal at the time was more of brand marketing, if you will. Um, I wanted to be more in brand management or product marketing, learn everything I possibly can, and then maybe one day work for a consumer product goods or some sort of CPG. Mm-hmm. Um, as I graduated, I realized pretty quickly that the first thing I needed to do was really gain experience. So I didn't really care what I was doing as long as it's sort of something in the field of what I went to school for or have studied. Um, and I knew that I'll just work as hard as I can to really gain that knowledge and work my way up slowly. Um, and so that's what I did. So after I graduated, it took a couple of years. I was working manufacturing in a couple of different spots, you know, whether it's in accounting or just office managerial. Um, I decided to leave and I uh, started working in, uh, in D.C., Um, And so I was working for a strategic consulting company at the time and was helping the chief marketing officers to really market the products and services consulting to companies like Visa, Bank of America, MasterCard, um, more of the financial institutions. And the more I was working with him and he saw my capabilities and there was another director, um, they came to me and they were like, hey, have you thought about going into recruitment? You have the knack and the 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 characteristics that would make a really great uh, recruiting leader one day. And 
I'll be honest with you. I was like, what do I know about recruitment? What do I know about people? You know, I know what I've gone through in my own, you know, experience, but I don't know too much other than what I've, I've learned from academics. Right. So uh, part of business, you had to take some sort of HR um, course as well. Yes. And so that particular director ended up just becoming my internal agent, if you will. He was really trying to vie for me and he said, try it. If you don't like it, you go back to what you were doing before. You were doing well. Um, but if you do like it, I think you could really excel. And so at the time, they were actually looking for someone to head up their recruitment. Um, I guess you could say a department or sector, if you will. And so then I tried it out. And so I was working. Let's see. I started with probably within three months of me really learning the job and, and seeing and understanding what is really the purpose of recruitment for this particular company, um, I fell in love with it. And so I was able to work with a lot of great different schools, uh, mostly top tier schools, Ivy Leagues, that we were competing with companies like Goldman Sachs, Booz Allen, uh, Deloitte, <laughs> KPMG, you know, so all these companies that you were competing for the same type of students. Um, and so the more and more I started learning in that world, the more I, I realized, like, this is this is what I'm passionate about. I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to assess people um, and really help an organization build their culture um, and build their team through evaluations, interviewing process, that candidate experience. Um, and so I just stuck with it from there. I actually uh, came back home for family reasons. So I came back home after being in D.C. for about gosh, this is long ago, probably like four years. Um, I came back home to Cleveland. I was working at another company under contract for university engagement for them. And they were a larger fluid component manufacturing company here in town, uh, but they had multiple locations. And so while I was working with them, uh, same thing in recruitment world, but now more global, um, this opportunity uh, with then the Cleveland Indians came up um, that just showcased on my desktop because I was doing some sort of research and it just kind of just was just there. <laughs> and so, you know, just like anybody else, when you see a sports team looking for a role and in the part, this, this case, a role that was very connected to me and what I did, my first thought was, there's no way I'm going to make it to the top of the stack because there's going to be a very high volume of people who want this role. And, you know, and I don't have the statistical knowledge of baseball at the time. I could probably could name you like two to three players. Cause I was so out of touch at that point. Um, I don't think I would make the cut, but I'm going to put my name in the hat and see what happens. And so I did. Um, and during that time, when I started, Mark Shapiro had just stepped over as our president of business and baseball operations because he was just our GM for many years. And so when he stepped over, he also brought in another gentleman uh, from baseball to this baseball ops to business ops, Andrew Miller, not the pitcher. It's a different Andrew Miller. <laughs> um, and so he brought him on. And uh, I remember going through the interviewing process and I said, you know, if you're looking for somebody who, knows baseball, no statistics, no players. I'm definitely not your person. Um, but if you're looking for somebody who knows a little bit about business and a little bit about recruitment, uh, we definitely can have further conversations. Um, and that was it. That was the history of it. And uh, like I said, I've been with the organization now for, gosh, I think 12, 13 years or so. 
Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. And yeah, and you hit the nail on the head there with knowing your craft and knowing the business and really just to, you know, continue that. What have you seen that has changed in recruitment in the 12 years or even since you got into recruiting and human resources, talent acquisition, what is the biggest key change uh, since getting started in the industry? Yeah, so um, that's another really great question. I think the first thing I will say is the amount of data that is at your disposal to evaluate a candidate is a lot more than what it was when I first started out. Um, when you first started out, you know, you, you create these tools, you create these mechanisms to help you understand or how to produce those quality of hires. And for you to measure that, you also have to measure them when they're actually inside an organization as well through their own personal development, career development, or how they do performance wise. Um, and all of that's been done manual. Right. So you have to come up with these frameworks. You have to come up with these resources to be able to educate the hiring managers and how to really tie it back to organizational goals. Um, what are the success messages? So you're looking at all this stuff and you're still looking at it today. However, the technologies that's placed in today's um, world, it's a lot easier for you to get that information and then a lot easier for you to measure um, and create that framework versus you starting from scratch. So that's the first thing is like just the amount of information that is at your disposal. The second thing I would say that's definitely different is the candidate behavior. And what I mean about that is, you know, if I think about the times when I first got in recruitment uh, with the college students or those who are, are about to graduate or recently graduate, their wants and needs are very different to today's wants and needs. You know, uh, back then, they're, you know, all they're looking for is a really great paying job that's going to keep them around and they're going to be stable and they're going to be there for the longevity of that career. That That's usually what it used to be. Today, the the stability is almost like a given. You have to be stable, otherwise they're not going to join your organization. Uh, but there's also the corporate social responsibility that people are very connected to and the ability to you know, whether you're going to work remote or you're going to work on site. So there's a lot more options that candidates want today that was not really the demand years ago. Um, so there's that piece of it, just that candidate behavior, that candidate experience has definitely changed. And I think the other thing that also has changed is, um, and this is probably more towards in the last couple of years of what COVID has done to us, the pace of hiring as well. Um, it's definitely a lot faster, a lot quicker. Candidates don't wait around too long anymore. Um, and so you're, you as an organization try to navigate through that as much as you possibly can um, with what you know, you're given. So I would say those are the ones that have been the biggest change over the course of my career in recruitment. Of course. And how different, obviously, uh, you have, you've worked in the corporate setting uh, how different was it recruiting in that capacity versus a sports organization? Um, yeah, so I would say, you know, the biggest difference, and it's really dependent on the organization, as I say this too, is that brand piece. You know, when you talk about the Cleveland Guardians, and as most people who are into sports, they're going to know who you are. They're going to know what you're all about. They're going to be able to find information on the organization 
very, very easily. Um, they're going to find out who works for whom and why they do the things, you know, they do. So sports, I think they have that brand that really helps them. With some other organizations, employers that don't have the same uh, connection or the same branding, they have to work a little bit harder to build that connection. They have to work a little bit harder to tell that story of why you should come work for our organization versus another. Um, so I would say that that's one difference, right? From a corporate setting to uh, the sports organization. And why, when I meant about depending on who the employers, people are going to know who Google, <laughs> who they are. Mm -hmm. People are going to know, you know, the Instagrams or the Facebooks and these, these larger organizations. But I'm talking more of corporations like the mom and pop shops or corporations that are medium size, not like larger size. So those are things that they have to think through. The candidate experience that I mentioned before, if you work for a corporate setting and you have a candidate experience, you know, if a candidate has a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like maybe um, a bad uh, experience to that interview process, whatever, most likely, or maybe they'll maybe put it on Glassdoor or they'll put it on Indeed and put ratings and tell other people why you should or shouldn't work for this organization. So there's that information. Um, and that could harm an organization, especially if they don't have the branding behind it. If you're a sports organization and you have that in your record, right, this public knowledge record, you you, you potentially lost a fan. You've potentially lost uh, other fans because maybe it's by word of mouth. And so that could spread as well. So you know, you're not looking at only as an employer and then a teammate who's coming on or a new hire, but you're also looking at it. This is a potential vet, a fan that you're talking to. And so you want to be mindful of that. Of the, course. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like the evaluation piece of candidates as well. Um, it's not for every organization, not every organization is like this. I can only speak about ours. We're pretty thorough in our process when it comes to evaluation, whereas uh, the corporate setting um, I don't know if that's really the case of the thorough evaluation that they have as well, because they're constantly hiring potentially for that same role multiple times or whatever it is. Whereas a sports organization, you know, you're not, these, these roles don't always come around. And so you want to make sure you mitigate, um, those bad hires as much as possible. Of course. And in your role, do you, are you hiring across all departments, uh, do you get the opportunity to uh, hire and interview? Do you have a hand in all the departments and even interns that come through the Cleveland Guardians organization? I do. So um, my hand is pretty much in every facet for our business operations side from start to finish. Uh, where I, you know, where I'm a part of, especially with our interns, um, early on when I started, I definitely was the one who was interviewing, setting up the schedules, talking to candidates, building pipelines, going out to schools, recruiting, um, on-campus efforts, you name it, I was doing it. And then over the course of the years, I built a team. Um, and so now I have other individuals that help me with that case and takes on process ownership of it, of, you know, doing the same thing. But now I have an extension of people who was able to kind of do that. We want to stay in touch. My team and I, the TA team, wants to stay in touch with that because we're looking at it from a different perspective than the hiring managers. A lot of times they're looking at a very uh, different lens of, you know, can this person really do the work? Can they take care of their responsibilities? Whereas my team and myself, we're looking at more organizationally 
Will this person fit with our team? Can they add impact? Can they add a different perspective? What are some things that they could add to our team um, that not all hiring managers would see? So I, I'm definitely involved in every facet. I love that. And talk about that because obviously the hard skills, you have them. I mean, sometimes, like you said, um, you may not all have all the skills, but you are able to have those soft skills. So how do you guys measure that? Because those are the ones that are not on the resume. Yes. Tear you over the edge, right? Yes. You're absolutely right about that. I think that's the always going to be the difficult part. I mean, I remember being in the same shoes as others. When you're applying for all these jobs, you keep wondering, like, man, I'm, I'm applying to all these hundreds of jobs, but no one is giving me a call back. <laughs> um, and if, the, if only they pick up the phone and talk to me, then I can really sell myself, <laughs> yeah. right? That, that's really the, the struggle. But what happens, to, so if we take a step back from the resume standpoint, I would say people need to take a look at their resume a little bit harder and see what is really the story they're trying to tell. Are they just trying to tell me they know something or are they trying to tell me they've accomplished something? So there's a couple of different differences on a resume that people really need to take a look at resumes a little bit further to really get that foot in the door. And then once you get that foot in the door, that's how we start looking at your soft skills. It is immediate. It can be immediate, uh, as immediate as, you know, if I'm sending an email to you, the way how you respond back to me is the first way, first thing I'm going to assess, right? <laughs> From a written standpoint, I'm not looking so much of your writing ability, but more of what is the, the content of what you're writing to me um, that I'm looking at. So it kind of gives me a little bit of an indication of what's your communication skills really like, and what are you trying to convey to me? Um, yeah, I love that. And you talk about that and you're, you're assessing the candidate even before they get to the interview. Yes. So it's like every step, no matter if it's like you said, you were involved in scheduling and setting up over, over those, like the interview doesn't start when you're in the room, essentially, right? Yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right about that. It doesn't start when the first time you hear my voice or when we see each other. It starts the first day that you decided to apply online. That is when the interviewing starts. You'd be surprised how many times I've gotten emails uh, when it's almost like they're demanding a job from me or uh -huh. they dismiss me because I'm, the, I'm on the HR team and they don't think I have any say in the decision-making or anything like that. Um, but then when they find out that I'm the first person they're talking to and I could be the gatekeeper, their tone changes immediately. Um, and that's telling that to me at that point, I'm like, okay, if you're easily dismiss me just because I'm in HR, what does that say to others who may be working underneath you or somebody that you need to collaborate with? So you start taking on these assumptions just based on that small tidbit. And by doing that, you're giving me an opportunity to make a judgment. Why do that? Um, you should just automatically think, you know, when I'm making an application, that's my first interview test. Yeah, for sure. And talk about talk about the balance, because I know a lot of sports organizations use the different tools, especially with uh, different uh, websites out there like Teamwork Online. Mm -hmm. uh, but talk about the power of referrals and how has that like how can someone who's in the organization and then auto how do you guys utilize the referral process and mm -hmm. then 
bringing good talent to the organization, uh, no matter what role it is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think like every organization, you're always going to have referrals. You know, if you have talented people, the rule of thumb is talented people are going to bring in other talented people. <laughs> and so with us, how we handle referrals, um, and as you can imagine, we get quite a lot. We take a look at each referral. Uh, we still assess their resume. We get a little bit of background story of who, how they know this referral mm-hmm. um, and such. A good portion of time, uh, when we get referrals, they're like, hey, this is a neighbor's friend's friend or something like that. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, in that case, we're probably going to treat them just like an external candidate because we don't have much information to go on. But if we have the information to say, hey, I know this person, I've worked with them at X company before, this is what I do know from them, we may need to assess them to see what they've done currently, we usually will schedule some sort of informational call. And those informational calls are are very important to us because this is when we get to build that rapport, build that relationship with the candidate or the referral, the referee, I guess, (laughs) Um, and really get an understanding of what is it exactly do they understand about the role that they're wanting to be referred to or, you know, or do they not have an understanding of what they're really looking for? And that's what we use those informational calls for. Um, so it's, it's really dependent on where the referrals come from, how much information do we know? And then from there we determine, do we schedule an informational call or not? Um, for myself and my team, we have informational calls all the time. Um, that's how we build our pipeline. That's how we build our relationships. Lot, you know, I've, I can name quite a few people who I've built that referral relationship for many years and now is working for our organization because I remember that conversation years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And you talk about, you know, knowing the role. I mean, whether it's referral or even someone coming into interview, um, talk about how Kennedy, even if it's even if it's slight experience, how can someone, whether that's asking somebody within the organization, Viva LinkedIn or mm-hmm. researching or an email outreach, how can someone, you know, get an understanding of the role even before that initial conversation? That's a great one. Um, again, you know, I can only speak about our experience of what we do. We, we do get that inquiry quite a lot. Um, a lot of our job descriptions today even says, you know, if you don't have all the requirements, reach out and we'll let you know what it is and we can have a conversation. Uh, I, I personally like it when people reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and again, it goes back to depending on how you're writing, what's that message that, you know, I'll respond back to. But for the most part, if you reach out to me on LinkedIn and just inquiring, say, you know, I, I've seen this role, I've seen this job description, I'm not quite sure if I meet the qualifications or I'm not quite sure if uh, this is the role I think it's going to be. Do you have some time to chat? Can we schedule something? If I get those communications, most often than not, I, I'm going to respond back and say, let's schedule some time. Let's talk. I'd rather take that 10, 10, 15 minutes or even longer to give someone information than having them sit in the you know, dark and say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to apply anyway because I'd rather... <laughs> I'd rather give that feedback because if they don't have the skill set or they don't have the qualifications, um, I'm not one that shies away and say, you know, this may not be a fit for you, but maybe you should look for this or you may should look for that in the future. Yeah, I love that. And and talk about the technology piece. I know you mentioned it earlier, but I think, I mean, I was, I can remember my time in college. It seemed like, you know, I know some companies were really utilizing it, but now people are like, man, another issue 
But how do you feel about the video interviews? And do you prefer like a pre-call video where the candidate submits one? Or would you rather have somebody do a video call first and then maybe do another follow-up? Or what's the interviewing process like for the Guardians? Yeah, so our interview process is... um, so after we review through all the resumes, we usually identify candidates that we want to have initial conversations with. And it's really dependent on the volume. If the volume is pretty high, and what I mean by pretty high, so let's say we have 100 candidates and we've narrowed it down to maybe top 25, we're probably not going to be able to do video calls with everybody, right? So mm-hmm. so we kind of look at from a timing and the volume, and then most likely we'll reach out and have phone conversations. And those phone conversations usually last at least a half hour. Um, and then sometimes it goes straight to an hour as well. Um, so, you know, again, we look at the volume, we look at the information that we want to obtain or know about the candidate. And then we determine from there, is it a video call or is it going to be a phone call and, and how long it's going to take. Now, if we get to a place where we have a pretty controllable number of candidates that we want to talk to, Uh, I personally like to do video calls first only because I want to be able to build that connection and rapport immediately. Um, And then having them, I think most people would be more comfortable with that. Going back to what I said before, when I was applying, I'm like, if only they could just pick up the phone and call me. (laughs) It's the same, same sort of thought process. It's like, you know, I think maybe people would be more appreciative if I'm actually able to kind of see them and talk to them. Um, and have that face-to-face and put a name and face together, that's that's pretty much a relationship building. And so we do that. So that's that's for our, our organization. We start off either it's a phone call or a video call, but some sort of call. And then after that, once we decide, you know, these are the candidates that are going to be final candidates or whatever, we typically schedule in-person interviews. It's an all-day in-person interview where you will start, you know, it could start at 10 a.m. and you probably go all the way to 4 p.m., and that's, and we do that on purpose. One, while we know we're going to get um, responses from you to help us determine whether or not you will be our next teammate, we want candidates to also feel welcome and at home and let them assess us as well. Because I, I feel that's very, very important for candidates. They need to assess the culture that you would be potentially joining. Um, and we want you to make sure that you're making the right choice. You know, if we were to make you an offer or you accept it. And so that's why we have people come in for in-person all-day interviews. Now, during COVID, though, (laughs) during COVID, uh, we weren't doing a lot of hiring at the time. And we were doing some, but not a lot. Uh, We did Zoom calls, just like um, the rest of the world. We were doing a lot of Zoom calls. But during that time, we did not do it all in one day because I'm sure... No one wants to sit in front of their video camera eight <laughs> hours a day. Um, so we split it up over the course of a couple of days to kind of give people breaks um, and such like that. So so that's pretty much what we've been doing. And that technology piece of it, it has helped um, where we're at now with hiring. But we still go back to, you know, by the time we get to the in-person, we want to bring you in because we want you to assess us, assess us as much as we're assessing you. Of course, and I love that. Now, talk about the logistics. Um, I mean, if I may, out of like, do you got does the do you look at like out of state or if I guess you know someone's being considered, 
out of state, how does that all work? And yeah, they're they provide their own transportation and all. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a really great question. Uh, we look at everybody, right? So we're 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 not gonna stay just within the region itself. We're we're definitely looking at everybody. Uh, we've had lots and lots of people move to Cleveland, um, just because of the opportunity itself. During the interview process, it's really we're pretty transparent. We'll tell you, you know, we may need you to come here for in-person interviews, and we're gonna let them decide. We don't want to make that decision for them and and self-opt them out or whatever it may be. Um, Depending on the role, there's some roles that we will actually pay for you to come to interview with us. Um, and there's times where we actually take uh, care of your overnight stay too, um, just because we know what that's like. And there are some positions that we are unable to do that just because of the level of the role. We do that obviously, you know, not because we don't want to give that candidate experience or and empathize with where they're at or, you know, whatever the, the situation may be, but it more, more or less goes back to, you know, what can we do? That's consistent um, cost perspective and such like that. Now, because that's back then. Now, because of the, the world that we're living in and Zoom is available or whatever it may be, uh, we talk about that as a possibility too. Yeah, I love that. And that's huge. I mean, flexibility is huge and being nimble is, is huge. So I love that. Uh, what do you see and maybe a common thread that you've seen over time what are some of the key factors that have that are successful with candidates that have gotten them the offer versus maybe candidates that weren't so successful that didn't get that offer letter over time? Yeah. Um, success factors. I w first will say there we how do I put this? Like, so, you know, I talk a lot about the relationship piece of it and that's so mm. important to our organization. Um, if we're able to kind of evaluate your ability to collaborate with multiple of individuals at varying levels, uh, that pretty much, you know, gives us an indication like this person could be a part of our team. So that's the first thing. The second thing is a person who is able to, uh, has grit, who's able to overcome adversity. In the work that we do in the industry that we are in, there's a lot of ebbs and flows because whether we're having a winning season or a losing season or just a very volatile season in itself. <laughs> and so, you know, having someone who has an understanding to be able to overcome those challenges at a very fast pace or the ability to be adaptable and flexible to whatever the situation or environment is going to be. Um, that to us kind of paints out a picture. This person could be very successful in our organization if they're able to manage through all of that. The other one is, you know, while this may seem so cliche, but it, you'd be surprised how it doesn't happen a lot <laughs> when you, you interview is that humble, that humbleness or the raw and authenticity of who you are. Um, you know, when we're interviewing, we want you to bring your best selves forward. We want you to be able to be who you are because that's that's how we get to know you. Um, and when we can sense that you're not being genuine or you're not being authentic, it questions, you know, we question whether, what are we really gonna see at the end of the day if you do join our organization um, and such, you know, Aside from the technical capabilities or the qualifications, right, that you need to be able to do the work, uh, 
Um, I would say the other piece of it is coachability. You know, like I mentioned before, myself and a lot of other individuals in our organization didn't come from sports. And so I think what's worked out in a lot of our favor is, you know, we're very coachable and we actually show it too. You know, we're willing to learn, we're willing to make mistakes, um, but what you do with those mistakes and how do you learn from them, it's what's going to set you apart. Um, so yeah, those are just probably a few that I've seen that sets people apart from offers and those who haven't gotten offers. And like you said, you want to build, when you go into an interview, you, you want them to be successful. It's a positive experience. You want them to do well and you want them to show what they can bring and, you know, be authentic, which can be challenging, but you want them to be successful in that process. Yes, absolutely. You know, we we're not trying to set up failure for anybody that it doesn't do anybody good when you do that we don't want you to come in feeling intimidated by our process either while our process like i said it's very thorough what it's not meant to do is to intimidate you it's more of just us to get an understanding of who you are but at the same time you know we're hoping you as a candidate to see wow they're being very thorough and they're actually appreciative of what i'm bringing to the table or how i'm thinking through a problem um and such like that but like I said, you'd be surprised how many people we've interviewed uh, where, you know, I sit there and I scratch my head. I'm like, is this really who you are? <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, th those are things like at the end of the day, though, we're human beings. We're just trying to get to know you. You know, we're not some two headed monster here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so talk about, you know, the interview process. W what do you think can be improved? Because obviously, there's always, you have to ask certain questions, but is there anything about the interview process or the questions that are being asked that could be enhanced for those maybe mid-tier candidates uh, that may improve or get uh, better chances to get that offer that you may see in the near future? Yeah, um, I, I see, I, I will say the one mistake I see, I, I guess I'll call it a mistake or error, however you want. But when an, a question is asked, I find candidates, um, they lose their place of how they answer and they can't drive it back to the question that's being asked. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Yes. They go off maybe on a tangent. Yes. Like to the question. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, I could ask, and this has happened more than once to me. You know, I could ask a very simple question of, tell me a little bit about yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's all I ask. It's it's probably one of the most difficult questions, simple question, but very difficult for candidates to uh, answer. And many times I've actually had a candidate who go goes probably 20, 30 minutes answering that one question. Oh, no. And I clocked it. <laughs> I've done it a couple of times where I clocked it. I'm like, man, that took. 30 minutes just for that one question. And they gave me everything I need to know. Like I didn't want to ask any other question during that time. Um, oh, yes. So that's the one where I was saying, you know, candidates kind of lose uh, track and they get very long winded and they don't, they don't know how to get back on track. Um, I would say one advice to try to get back on track is try to jot down notes, you know, have a pad folio with you, some sort of notepad and just jot down on a, that sheet of paper of what the question's being asked. Um, so that way you could kind of look back to it, refer back to it. And you're like, okay, this is what I'm really trying to answer um, and such. And that could be for any question that's given to you. You know, it's, 
I know from nerves. I know from just maybe not confident in your ability to answer that people do go off on a very random path. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think by having something jotted down, hopefully you can kind of refer back to it and kind of get back to that. I say that was that would be the first one. I think the second thing for candidates um, is they treat it very much a robotic question, answer, question, answer, question, answer versus conversational. Like I mentioned you before, you know, we're just trying to get to know you and we want you to get to know us. Um, it's just two people having a conversation or it's maybe three people having a conversation. However many people, you, you just want to keep a conversation and building the rapport with someone. But if you sit there and just wait for the next question, you know, and that question, answer, question, answer type of method, um, for us at least, we're, we're like, okay, we really don't know who this person is because while they answer the question, we really haven't really gotten any understanding of their soft skills. Um, and so, you know, I think that's where it's such a miss for our candidates. Cause like I said, they're so focused on answering that they don't, they miss the mark of, Hey, let's, let's make this a conversation. Of course. And I think that's a huge piece of, of interviewing and understanding and like it's, it's a conversation. It's like you're, it's like you would maybe not not necessarily the extreme of talking to a buddy or a friend or mm -hmm. a family member. You want to maybe use all the terms, but it is a conversation and you want to make it so instead of just being that robot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To your point, you know, it's a professional conversation here. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, it, you don't want to be a robot. And then you have the other spectrum, too, though. You at you ask a question and they answer very quickly, and you're almost sitting there like, and then, and they got nothing for you, so it's like, okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is the happy medium like? Obviously, a phone conversation is different than a video call because usually video calls are longer. Yes, uh, but in whether it's I guess from a phone call standpoint because it's that half an hour most of the time, mm -hmm. where do you see the happy medium for a candidate to answer? Would you say it's like a minute and a half to maybe two minutes at most? Um, you know, I've never really actually took a look at the time of what's that average really like, but I, I feel like if the, the questions that are going to be asked on a phone call, and especially if it's in a half hour, what the person on the other end is trying to determine is, do you have the qualifications? So this, these are more like hard skill sets, uh, more than uh, soft skill sets to some degree, but it's mostly hard. What I mean by hard is like the actual technical aptitude mm -hmm. that you have for the role in itself. It's like a screening. So they're, they're just trying to figure out, do you qualify for the role? In cases like that, I definitely would keep your responses to less than five minutes, maybe not even five minutes, because that, that's still pretty long. Um, so maybe let's say an average two and a half to three minutes long for those, those type of responses. But if those phone calls and you know that from, you know, whether you have that communication with that particular person or recruiter or whoever it may be, they say it's at least 30 minutes, it could go up to an hour. Then you know that it's really dependent on how you answer that it could take up to an hour. Um, because the better you answer, the more they're going to want to know more about you and the more they're going to ask you questions. So I would say, but no, no response should be 10 minutes or 20 <laughs> or 30. I will say that right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's awful. Like, I, I, that's, 
I've never had that. I hope, yeah, to, to have <laughs> someone uh, talk for 10 minutes or even the whole interview, that's got to be hard. <laughs> it, it, like I said, it's happened. Otherwise, I would never mention about it. It's happened more than you know. Oh, I can imagine. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, what do you say at the end? Like, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> While while the back of my head, I I think about that. <laughs> um, no, more again, you know. But even if they're doing that, as I said earlier, there's still that candidate experience. The still mm-hmm. is a potential fan, and so you want to treat them as such and give them that respect. They're probably nervous, so you have to empathize with them. But usually, I let them go. I don't cut them off um, or anything like that because, quite frankly, the more the talk, the more I'm learning about them um, of what's going right, what's going wrong. Um, but you know, once they're done, I usually will just follow up with one to two additional questions and then turn it over to them with any questions they may have of me. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that and keeping it uh, concise and professional is always important. And I know you have a lot of experience, a lot of, you know, experience over your time with the Guardians. Tell me, what is one experience you've enjoyed the most? Or I know there can, I'm sure there's many, even top 10, top 20. uh, But what is one of your favorite moments or experiences uh, that you've had your hand in while with the Guardians? Oh, man, you're right. There's many. (laughs) Other than the 2016 World Series, so I'll, I'll put that aside because that was pretty exciting. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, my gosh. That was great. <laughs> it, it was it was just awesome all around just to be able to experience that from start to finish. But I, I would say the 2019 All-Star Game, um, that that will forever be in my memory in terms of what I've had at hand in um, and how that came to life. So, you know, with All-Star, you usually work – collaboratively with uh, Major League Baseball in New York, the commissioner's office. Mm-hmm. And so they they came to town quite a bit over the course of those two years of us planning. And part of my role, I actually had a quite a diff- uh, a few different roles to that. But one of my responsibility was um, obtaining volunteers to help during those course of the couple of days. Mm-hmm. And the number of volunteers that we had to have was pretty astronomical, even for a recruiter. <laughs> I was like, I don't know this is possible, but we're going to go at it. Um, and I was very, very pleased and happy that we actually broke a record for Major League Baseball for how many volunteers we were able to recruit Wow! Um, across the board. Um, and I believe we still hold that record today. And so I was pretty excited about that. And then the other thing that I was responsible for um, was helping staff for certain roles within um, what Major League Baseball needed for All-Star Game with our internal teammates. And so it was up to me to really determine who would be fit and slotted into what, and then have them be the leader in those particular spaces um, and such. And so I had my hand in that. All the while, and the reason why it's also memorable for me, all the while, I broke my foot two weeks before All-Star. Oh, no. And so I was actually on a little scooter (laughs) rolling around the ballpark uh, and trying to get this all done. Um, My teammates have video of me doing this, too, which is kind of funny. But but yeah, so I I think it's, it's that, you know, you had your blood, sweat and tears 
two years in the making of seeing this all-star happen and watching the city just glow uh, with everything that was going on for our city. It, it was a pretty exciting moment. Yeah, I love that. And talking about the dedication, I mean, heck yes, you were there. You're not going to let a broken foot stop you from <laughs> going and attending and organizing and planning the event that you were a part of for two years. Yes, I wasn't going to miss it. I'm like, broken foot or not, it's going to happen. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I love that. Yeah, I know when I used to, I interned for CBS Radio Baltimore anytime there's playoffs, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, and they have come down work, and it's so much more media. It's it's definitely exciting when there's different events and uh, playoffs. It's always a great ride. But, hey, you know, making those memories for individuals inside the ballpark, whether you win or lose, is really cool too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the best part. You know, we get to see the best of both worlds when there's some all the excitement around us. I love that. Well, it was a pleasure having you on Mainland. Um, just before we close out, if there's any final advice that you would give to young individuals that want to get in sports, what would that be and why? I would say keep at it. Don't let anything really get in your way. Try to find a way to get an understanding of what the world that you want to get into, what the role you want to get into. There are a lot of information at your disposal, especially with LinkedIn. Find those individuals and understand them, who they're all, what they are all about, what they do. So it helps you prepare what's that next step for you more and more. Connections are huge. I love that. Well, it's been a pleasure. I know we could talk on and on. There's so much that goes on in the world of HR. You do a great job of uh, your role and everything that goes in with the Guardians. So. It was a pleasure having you on Mainland. If people want to get a hold of you or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? You connect with me on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn under Mylin Vu. Or you could also send me an email. It's mvu at cleguardians.com. Hi, Mainland. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a good one.